0: HD Smartcast.
1: You are listening to a Mint production brought to you by HD
2: Smartcast. Hello and welcome to Mint Dialogues, a weekly podcast where we focus on the big questions in personal finance and investing. My name is Neil Borate, and I head the personal finance team at Mint. I will be your host for this podcast. The podcast is a mint production and is available on htsmartcast.com, India's fastest growing podcast producing platform. We have Dipali Sen, founder, Sujan Financial Services. We have Ashish Somaya, CEO at White Oak Capital. Anand Ladda, founder, Invest Arch for Kal. Sandeep Jetwani, co-founder, Deserve Dot. And my colleague, Abhinav Kaul. So welcome everyone. Now, let me begin the session with perhaps the most frequently repeated joke when it comes to this topic, that the best way to grow your savings to rupees one crore is to have a salary of rupees one crore. But jokes aside, there are certain popular rules that that people often discuss when they think of this question. And the most popular one is the 15-15-15 rule. So you save 15,000 rupees per month and you save that for 15 years. And if it grows at 15%, then you get to 1 crore. Unfortunately, the middle assumption in that rule, 15% a year, in my opinion, is quite shaky. So let me
0: start there. What is a realistic return rate? Ashish, can we start with you? Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me, Neil. So, you know, it depends, frankly speaking, on... uh What type of instruments one really invests in? Because, you know, as you see, if one looks at fixed income, for instance, when I started my career, fixed income was good enough. We used to get up to 10, 11% in fixed income. Nowadays, that's probably, you know, 5%, 6% kind of number, especially after tax. I would say that if somebody has created a diversified portfolio, you know, which has fixed income, Uh, which has equity as well and theoretically if I were to say that let's say your fixed income in equity is 50-50 then I would say more like 8-9% or you know high single digit is a good assumption to make. If you are fully into equity then I would say low double digit and you know considering that you gave an example of somebody investing over a 15 year period. You know over 15 year period of course real returns will probably still hold up but nominal returns might be uh, you know declining so i would put it this way that you know if you have a pure fixed income portfolio sorry budget, ashish could you define uh, could you define for our listeners what nominal and real returns are yeah so what i meant is that you know uh, that needs some explanation so let's put it this way that in the past i said you know when i started my career say in late 90s it was very normal that fixed income would give 10 to 12% return but at that time inflation itself was 8 to 9% so you know In uh, the way you asked, 10 to 12% would serve more like a nominal number. 8% used to be inflation. So, the nominal number minus inflation would give you the real uh, return. So, as time passes, what we have seen is that inflation and interest rates both have kind of come down. So, many years back, like say 20 years back, we had the nominal rate of return was say 10 to 12%. Inflation was say 8 to 9%. So, the real return was say in the vicinity of 3%. Now, today, where we are, we have seen that, you know, fixed income rates are 6-7%, inflation has been averaging more like 4%. So again, the nominal return being 7%, inflation being 4%, the real return still comes to about 3%. So, that's what I was trying to say, that, you know, while the real return may still be 2-3%, as we go in future, our expectation of a nominal return should actually kind of come down given your long answer uh, but i would say that anybody looking to invest from here on 15 years out if you are looking at a pure fixed income portfolio budget 4-5 percent pure equity portfolio budget 10 to 12 percent and a mixed portfolio budget 8 to 9 percent that's what i would say should be your return expectation sure ashish so
2: to summarize it you're essentially saying that given inflation One crore might not be enough, but if we stick to just nominal numbers, 15% you're saying of course is not not realistic to assume, right, for the next 15 years? Of course not. I think 15% is uh,
0: very high. Right. So you would put it at 8 to 10% for a balanced portfolio? Absolutely. More like 8 to 10% for 8 to 9% for a balanced portfolio. And by balanced portfolio, we mean like, you know, 50-60% equity and about, say, 40-50% to in uh, fixed income or deposits or bonds or whatever. Right. Dipali, is that the number you go with for your clients?
3: Yes, I would agree too. So, uh, returns expectations have to be tempered. 15, I obviously think is very high. So when I do planning for my clients or uh, planning for their goals, uh, 10 to 11% is what I keep. uh, 11 to 12 rather expectation of a pure equity portfolio and anywhere between 7, 7 7.5 to 8 for a debt portfolio. So uh, around 75, let's say equity, 25 debt, you could reach uh, your uh, 1 crore corpus by investing 20,000 for another uh, 15 years. You could reach there.
2: Okay, so the 15,000 goes to 20,000 given the yeah. lower rate of yeah. returns.
3: Yeah, that's right. Okay.
2: Now, of course, risk capital matters a great deal, uh-huh. but you said something like 75 25, right? 75 yes. equity yes. given the time horizon in question. Right, so now I'm, I'm just trying to uh, get some numbers into place.
3: Yeah, um, so if we are talking about, let's say, people in there. Late 20s or early 30s or even late 30s and you are suggesting a 75 equity and 25 debt, then on the weighted average your portfolio is close to 10.75. So, around uh, 20,000 per month for the next 18 years will be short like 10 lakhs of 1 crore. But another uh, 2-3 years, you could reach there. So, uh, keeping uh, the age group in mind, uh, 75-25 seems uh, sensible to me. And with that in mind, if you keep investing for uh, 17 years for uh, 20,000 per month,
2: you'll reach a crore of a corpus. Sure. Anand, are those the numbers that you work with as well?
4: See, uh, personally, while deciding the expectations, no? I feel that firstly, we have to get rid of recency bias. What we usually think is what has happened in recent past will continue to happen for times to come. That is not something how investment works. So right now we are also working with uh, when we are investing in equity mutual funds, we are keeping expectations of uh, 11 to 12%. And uh, if we talk about gold, because that is also an asset class which we can think of, we can expect somewhere from around 6 to 7% in coming times. And in uh, debt, especially looking at the yields right now, I feel 5% percent post tax is something which is good enough looking at the yields and the durations which we have usually in the debt funds. So, this is the basic mindset which we can have. Plus, I believe that we can have separate goals while investing. Suppose, for example, there is a goal uh, which is 20 years or maybe 25 years down the line. I can have my full amount invested in equity for that particular goal versus there can be some goal which is maybe in the next three to five years. So, for that, we can use debt as an instrument.
2: Sure, that's fair enough. Uh, Sandeep, would you also agree?
4: Neil, as a
1: good wealth manager, I'll give a little long answer to this. The point is that there are two factors. One, which Ashish sort of referred to, which is inflation. And whether 1 crore is the right amount that we're looking at. Are Are we chasing the right number? Uh, and inflation has another component, as we believe I deserve, is that your aspirational inflation. Like, is this a life that you want to live? And is, is one crore going to be sufficient to live that life, uh, at that point of time? So what that is you're one. Us? <laughs> <laughs> so that is one, one aspect. The other aspect is around, uh, you know, when we talk about asset allocation. You made this point of 15, 15, 15, right? And one of those 15 is a 15-year number. Uh, In my experience, if we get the asset allocation wrong, which is if you over-allocate to equity and markets do come down, Uh, then you have a situation where somebody is not able to hold on to that portfolio. And that does far more damage in the long term than whether you'll get to 1 crore or not. So to my mind, I think first uh, variable is to get a uh, portfolio which you can sleep well with in case markets come down and uh, build around that. Having said that, if you just uh, go back to the numbers that you were looking for, I think that 8 to 9% overall return on a balanced portfolio seems appropriate Obviously, we are in a time of extremely low interest rates, so that has to be kept in mind. And like Anand mentioned, I think recency bias is something that we have to stay clear of. Because having seen phenomenal return in equities in the recent past, there is a tendency to believe that that will happen again. And that may not be always true.
2: That's an excellent point, Sandeep. because um, the last year has seen a phenomenal return uh, for stocks, for equities. So does it even make sense to assume even 12% if somebody was to put a lump sum now, what should that figure be?
1: So look, I would think that again, it goes back to the question of time, right? Over long periods of time, equities, delivering returns of close to 2x of the risk-free rate of return, which say is close to 6% today, is quite possible. But obviously, in the near term, these calculations do not hold. There are too many variables that operate in the near term. So, the only request that I'll make listeners and investors to do is to elongate their holding period as much as they can. And whatever gives them that comfort to do, that is what we should be looking at.
2: Right. So, you're essentially saying that we can still go with the 12% provided the investor is able to wait out that very long time period. Absolutely. Regardless of valuations, P-E ratios, various other metrics.
1: Yeah, because, you know, I think over time, all of this normalizes. So, you have periods of time where even if you're entering at a very high valuation, if you're able to ride out the markets, then you're pretty much okay. I mean, if you look at the GFC crisis of 2008, uh, markets fell 60% from the top. But over a period of time, they did recover and things stabilized. And you, even from the top, you made very decent returns. So I think it's about just holding it out for a long period of time and the ability of being able to tolerate that downside.
2: Does everyone agree with that? You know, with today's market, you can still make the assumption of a 12% return on equities. Anand.
4: Neer, I personally feel that Indian investors are not risk averse. They just cannot see their portfolio negative. And looking at the times where we are right now, I personally feel it is not probably the right time to put uh, lump sum money. We should probably look at triggering our money because whenever our money, suppose for example, I invested 1 lakh rupees and my portfolio is at 99,000. I will be super scared. This is the mentality of every Indian investor. So we have to understand that mentality and frame portfolio accordingly. So this is something which I will strongly put forward that if you're looking for lump sum equity investments, probably you can spread it out over next 12 to 15 months at least and you will be at a better place.
2: Okay, fair enough, spread it out. Does everyone agree with that? That if you sort of do an STP, then you shouldn't worry too much about current valuations. Then you can go with that 12% figure.
0: Yeah, I think uh, both the ways, if you really see, you know, when you, uh, first first of all, on Sandeep's point, I completely agree with what he said you know and not to complicate things further but if you look at long time frames like you know you were talking about doing any which way uh, investment over next 15 years 20 years so for those kind of time frames the actual return you know the stock market delivers returns in line with the gdp growth if you take real gdp growth plus inflation right over long periods of time it has been about 12% in india last 25 30 years nominal gdp growth has been 12% and last 25 30 years the Sensex return has also been in the same vicinity of about 12%. On top of it, when you invest with portfolio managers, uh, they are not going to buy the Sensex or they are not going to buy the GDP in aggregate. Uh, you know, the onus is on them to at least do a couple of percentage better because you know we are going to be choosing businesses from the private sector and at efficiency of companies. So I would put it this way that yes, uh, you know, like what Sandeep said, if you have a reasonably long time frame like 15, 20 years is what generally youngsters are looking for, then I don't see any issue. Starting point has a bias. You know, what Anant is saying is also important because starting point matters where it matters. For the first year or two, like he rightly said, you know, over 15, 20 years, you might still end up with 12%. But the day you start and in the next six months, in between the 100 becomes 80, then are you going to stick with that decision or are you going to panic and bolt for the door so both are on the same page but it's just that if you stagger your investment you might have a slightly smoother ride you might do better in the early stages of your journey you might do slightly better you might average better and it's just a Ashish, can i
2: to, play devil's you know, advocate can i play devil's advocate in this Mm -hmm. and reference the Japanese stock market which peaked out in the late 1980s. I think for 10 years they weren't able to reach that previous peak. So, I don't know if we are there now in the
0: Indian stock market, but that's a possibility, right? You know, I don't think we have any, I mean, it's not a comparison really uh, by any stretch of imagination. Uh, The reason being that, you know, the whole dynamics, uh, you know, whether it is actually the demography, uh, whether it is the financial sector, whether it is the economic policies, I think none of it actually stands to be a comparable, uh, you know, when we talk about where India is today and where uh, Japan is. Uh, And, you know, I think we get scared every time the market makes a new high, you know, everywhere it starts flashing that it's an all-time high. Now, I don't think Japan example applies to India for multiple reasons. But talking about all-time highs, you know, which is close to where we are now, I would just put it this way that every all-time high is preceded by a series of all-time highs. And this all-time high will again be succeeded by a series of all-time highs. You know, because market is a continuum. You know, in between, it does happen that you take two steps forward and one step backward. But ultimately, it's a continuum. And we have immense opportunity in multiple parts of our economy across multiple uh, sectors. So, what the kind of bull run that we are seeing now, not everything is cyclical. It's not like it's gone up, so it will go down. Not everything is cyclical. A lot of what happening is structural by structural i mean that it is a lasting change meaning digital adaption is lasting capital market adaption by youngsters is lasting the government inviting investments like today india for example is leading in foreign direct investment through private equity investment and even foreign portfolio investment so we are breaking records everywhere there is a reason why globally people are choosing uh, to invest in india and I don't think all of that is going to go back to the pre-COVID level. I mean, during this COVID period, a lot of structural changes have happened. So I think one has to be constructive. And I would say equity is for optimists. You know, if you, if our general belief is that human beings are going to be the next bunch of dinosaurs, then we should not be in the stock market. That's how I would say <laughs> Fair enough. Um, okay.
2: So with that, let me come to the second broad point that I wanted to discuss, which is what instruments will get you there. Dipali would you like to take the first tab at this you know is it only mutual funds is it mutual funds plus ppf plus nps what combination will get you to that one crore mark
3: i would actually be comfortable which i also do for my clients to be happy with this versatile medium of mutual funds so in my sense That suffices, that kind of addresses all needs people have on the debt or a gold or an equity. So to keep things simple, I actually find no compelling reason to look beyond what it offers. Even in terms of trying to build an annuity, you can always do a systematic withdrawal. So I am to the extent of maybe sounding too simplistic or boring, quite okay just with mutual funds in the portfolio, ensuring all asset class exposure and uh, trying to see that the goals are met.
2: Okay. And when you say mutual funds, do you mean index funds? Do you mean active funds?
3: Uh, at I'm, this at point this in time, p- I'm more comfortable with actively managed uh Uh, diversified mutual fund. So I am not very open to an index fund because uh, while the expense may be lower and I completely agree to the thing that the uh, Indian story or the GDP story to go up is there, I'm uh, somehow still more comfortable with diversified, uh, well-managed, actively mutual funds because I still think there are uh, sweet spots which can be exploited by a actively managed professional versus uh, just uh, trailing an index or tracking an index. And that's it.
2: Okay Sandeep do you agree just mutual funds and just actively manage mutual funds or you need a combination of products?
1: So, Neil, I mean, the question is, how exactly are you managing it? Or If I'm managing it myself and I'm talking about somebody who's a working professional who's on a day job, I would probably lean towards instruments that I don't have to do too much work with. Because unless I'm looking at it on a regular basis, I may not have the time to track it and change portfolios dynamically. In which case, mutual funds definitely are a great option to be with. Obviously, there are active investors who would uh, look at individual stocks and uh, bonds, etc. But for the larger community, I would definitely think that mutual funds are a great way to go. Within that, obviously, having a right construct is very important. And that depends on what kind of... So, Sandeep,
2: on the the fixed income portion, Mm -hmm. is there not a case for products like PPF, which have uh, tax benefits, or for retirement for NPS, which not only has a tax benefit, but has a lock-in, and that keeps people in for a long period of time so what about these other products
1: no absolutely look i think ppf definitely from a tax perspective we would definitely do i think at that kind of tax-free return is very hard to get uh, with that kind of a credit quality so yes absolutely i was talking about more the disposable thing which is left after making all of those allocations which is where you would want um, liquidity and access to capital very easily, which may or may not be available in some of these type of instruments. So that is uh, one part. And second part is to your other question about index funds and active managed funds. I think there again, I think investing is not about being in camps. It's about being in the right and most appropriate instrument uh, for that particular asset class. So, to give you an example, on the equity side, yes, there are definitely cases for some bit of allocation to index funds in parts of the market which are very efficient. And yet, fund managers are definitely able to add... Sorry, that would be large to cap,
2: right? You're saying index right. funds for the large cap. Yes, so,
1: uh, so, from our uh, portfolio perspectives, we do allocate some money on the large cap side to index funds. Having said that, there are in India still areas of inefficiency and fund managers are definitely able to add value, especially on the multi-cap side side small and mid cap side etc so there we are leaning definitely towards actively managed funds The same question on the debt side, there is case for uh, having some bit of money in index funds there as well, which track the government bond indices, etc. And some part of the money can be with credit risk funds in case one is comfortable with lasting out the period of time that you need to have this money for. So essentially, credit risk funds will also do reasonably well, but over a period of time. So that needs to be taken into cognizance.
2: Yeah, that's a somewhat courageous call, if I might add, given the events of the past year. But sure, I mean, uh, yeah. So so look,
1: I think there are areas of mispricing and uh, coming on the back of what has happened in the last couple of years. I think fund managers are also extra cognizant of this. And we see that in how they've constructed their portfolios on this side. So again, with a limited allocation, definitely comfortable.
2: Okay, Anand, same question to you. You of course distribute mutual funds for a living, but uh, at the same time, you know your clients would be interested in other products also. So how do you get to that one crore? What products?
4: See, I personally feel that in investments, everything works. Everything is absolutely okay, but we have to see that what works best for us. For example, if someone is comfortable with Bitcoin, I, I will say that Bitcoin also works. It has made a huge amount of money for a lot of people. But we have to see that what suits us the best. And according to that, as Sandeep and Depali mentioned, that mutual fund is a beautiful product, which allows you to have a different combination. For example, you can invest in gold while using a mutual fund. You can invest in equity, you can invest in debt, or you can even invest in property for that matter. We have some risks coming out there. So mutual fund is, is a product which allows you to invest in whichever asset class you want to, but from an holistic view you i feel that whatever suits no, no, you, Anand, you i
2: take in- your point no no i take your point the client should have comfort yeah you yeah. as the advisor you would recommend something right i mean i assume that would not be bitcoin
4: <laughs> no, no, absolutely not. So, I feel uh, for a, for a long term horizon, you can surely stick with equity mutual funds. You can have some flavor of index funds. If you are looking for an investment time horizon of maybe 5 years to 7 years, you can have some allocation to index funds. Rest, equity mutual funds will do your part. And when I talk about uh, debt, I personally like accrual-based debt funds, pure accrual-based debt funds. I don't like taking calls you on education. Let me
2: explain that for listeners. What is an accrual-based debt fund?
4: see suppose i have a time horizon while investing in debt product of three years i will invest in a debt product which has given loan for three years i won't invest in a product which has given uh, loans for maybe 10 years or 15 years because when i invest in a product having high duration if interest rate reverses and uh, it goes against me i have to pay a cost for it so accrual mutual funds is in simple words it is investing according to your time horizon suppose you have investment for one year invest in a debt product which which has given money for one year duration if you have time horizon of five year invest in a product which has given money for maybe four to five years so that is one space which we can look for instead of liquid funds i personally feel that now for the time being we can surely shift to some bank accounts giving good interest rate and uh, which are safe banks and i feel that will suffice our liquid fund requirement and uh, for the timing we can avoid investing in liquid funds looking at the very low returns
2: Okay, that's an interesting micro discussion to go into. But at this point, let me stick to the more broader themes. And the next theme I wanted to go into was the behavioral biases that stop people from getting to their goal. But let me first take some questions and then we can maybe get back to that. Abhinav, uh, would you like to invite maybe two people at a time? And I'd like to request uh, people, please raise your hands. And once you're admitted as a speaker, please keep yourself on mute until requested to ask the question.
4: Mr. Srinivasan, would
2: you like to ask your question?
4: Yeah, people still feel that something around 15% is possible from equity, right? And I don't think any of the panelists here went anywhere close to that. And he was the most, uh, opt- I mean, kind of most realistic, I would say. So what would be his comments? You know, should we just go and say that this 15% is just not going to happen in the coming uh, decade in India?
0: Yeah, thank you. Uh, Thank you for your question uh, Mr. Srinivasan. So, let us put it this way that under what circumstances does a 15 percent actually play out? Instead of shooting it down or ruling it out, let us put it this way that based on whatever experience or statistics or data that we have seen in the past, how does 15 percent play out? So 15% you know if you look at it and we are talking about index so there is no point in talking about any individual person's stock picking capabilities or talking about any individual mutual fund etc because that also you know trying to identify precisely who is going to win is a challenging task. So uh, let's look at just the index. So let us say for example that we want the index to deliver 15% from here, what needs to happen for that? So. At a base minimum, at a bare minimum, for index to deliver 15% return, our nominal GDP growth has to be uh, in, you know, in that ballpark, you know, 14, 15, 13, 16, somewhere in that vicinity. Now we can get nominal GDP growth of 15% in multiple ways. You know, we can get 9% growth with 6% inflation. We can get you know uh, 12% growth with 3% inflation, not possible. Can we get 7% growth with 7% inflation? Probably not sustainable. At some point in time, you know, we will get. So what happens is that when an economy grows, it has to grow in a orderly, sustainable fashion. The way we are constructed, I mean, the whatever I have seen of the last 20-25 years, uh, when we are growing 7-8% to 8% with 5% inflation, that is what is sustainable. Let me tell you what all I have seen in my 21 years. I have seen 9% growth with 9% inflation. It doesn't work because when there is 9% inflation, some people on the margins become poor and you know that's not sustainable. In the recent times, we have seen very Americanized way of thought process. So we saw 4% GDP growth with 2% inflation. No chance that the stock market can deliver and uh, you know that 2% inflation in our kind of country is not even sustainable. It's very Western thinking. So, I would put it this way that, you know, for us to have 15% nominal GDP growth, it looks like a tall order and that too, the question was next 15-20 years. So, look, in this journey, will we have bouts of 15% growth? Absolutely possible. I see no reason why couple of years it may not happen. But in that whole journey, can we have 15% sustainable growth? I think that to me looked like, you know, we will go through when if we have f- for three to four years, if we have 15% growth, we will go with a boom bust cycle. You know, if you have two to three years of 15% growth, then you can rest assured that after that, you will have a significant slowdown because that's how economies kind of create cycles of boom and bust. So, you know, when we are making a financial plan for the future, we cannot factor in all these booms and busts. We have to look at average numbers numbers we have to be conservative or at least uh, realistic so looking at next, next 15 20 years i'm pretty sure that there will be some years we'll have 15% growth will we be able to sustain i would say very very low chance that we can sustain that sustainable according to me is you know this whatever i said you know 10 12% kind of thing is sustainable with intermittent bouts of uh, Movement bust, or you know, above average and below average kind of uh, movements.
4: Great, thanks, Ashish. Hi, Ashish.
0: Uh, uh, yeah. one, one just follow up
4: question. Sorry, go sorry. Ahead, go sorry. Ahead. Yeah. Uh, so, Ashish, would you say that in this uh, context, uh, there's a plan or a dream like financial independence, retire early? So, is, has that become hmm. difficult given the scenario?
0: You know what? I will answer this very differently, Abhinav, because I feel very strongly for this topic. You know, before we start about financially independent, retiring early, don't look at it purely from arithmetic, how much to save, how many years. Let's first understand what is life expectancy going to be and where we are headed on that. I am 46, almost 46 now. I think I will live 90. That's what, I mean, you know, if I don't do something dramatically wrong with my health, my sense is I will live 90. My sense is that there are a lot of youngsters on this call who will easily live 100. And you know, my parents' generation, I think life expectancy was 70-72. The kind of advances that medical science is making, I think most of us are going to cross 90. So, I am not a big fan of financial independence. Having peace of mind, fantastic. Everybody should aim for it. But retire early, frankly, I am not a big fan of that uh, thought process, uh, personally. And I don't know if I've answered your question or not, but I think that life expectancy is the biggest joker in the pack when people are talking about this. Ashish, you're right, but of
2: course, I feel rather sad after listening to that. I wanted to rather have a nice couple of years traveling the
0: world. Looks like that's not a possibility, huh? Of course you can travel the world. It's just about, you know, how you save, how you plan for it. My question was more about <laughs> the retiring early versus sustaining. Yeah. You know, sustaining yeah. the... Savings, sustaining the investments, sustaining the earning capacity. I think my remarks were more around that. And, you know, I think if you travel the world, you might probably end up living 4-5 years more. You know, you will be happier. <laughs> so, so that means yeah. if, we, if our life expectancy has risen, that means we have to work harder, save more. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we have to err on the side of caution on multiple fronts, right? You have to err on the side of caution for the rate of return. You have to err on the side of caution for inflation. I would say the biggest point where you should err on the side of caution is life expectancy. I think it's going up, up and up. I don't think it's going down. Prati, your question?
5: Yeah, so I've been
1: investing in the equities for the last uh, five years now. And uh, my previous generation, as in my parents and my grandparents, they've compounded their wealth by investing in properties. Right? And... uh, On the other hand, I have stayed out of investments in any kind of property and most of it is in equities and mutual funds. Uh, My question is, uh, do you think once I'm in my 30s, I should probably consider diversifying some of my investment in some property? Because I've seen the amount of compounding that's happened in property in the last decade. Um, Can we expect similar returns in the next decade if I buy a property in a couple of years from now when I'm 30?
2: uh pratik great point interestingly enough the rbi house price index has been coming down since 2010 we just did a session on that couple of weeks ago but absolutely valid point who's the question oh, okay uh if you can pull him back up or otherwise can any any anybody can take that question actually
1: sunil so i'll take that question and i think uh, pratik mentioned that he was the money compounded over time that i think is the answer to the question is in the question itself that the money was able to compound because his parents held on to the property for a very long time. Unlike in equities, when you're able to see the price movement up and down on a daily basis, and you get worried, you enter, get out. We have so many data points about how investors don't stick around with mutual funds for a very long period of time. We were talking to an AMC CEO recently, and we heard that even in the best performing schemes, maybe single digit number of investors have held on to the scheme over a 10 or 15 year period, the same thing doesn't happen when it comes to property. So if you even compound money at 5% and you hold it for, say, 20 years, which quite often happens in property, the money becomes 2.6, 2.7 times. And that's, I think, uh, the real uh, reason why property investments seem so attractive, that you're holding on to it, you're not looking at it on a day-to-day basis. Having said that, I think, Property from a consumption perspective, certainly that's one thing that you can definitely have. But otherwise, property as an asset which will deliver returns by itself is a very hard call to make in a time when infrastructure in India is developing. You know, all of these variables are coming up: new roads getting set up, distances getting reduced, digital adoption happening. I personally feel it's very hard for property, long-term uh, return generating asset.
2: True. Ashish, do you have a different perspective on that? You invested in commercial property in
0: the height of the pandemic. So, I'll put it this way that you can't be bullish about the economy and the stock markets and yet be bearish on uh, parts of real estate. Uh, only caveat here is that real estate is extremely diverse. You know, meaning that within real estate, there is multitude of different subsections or sectors right like within commercial itself you know you could have malls and storefronts and retail and a zillion other things and you know within and you know you could have office spaces and they could be IT parks and SEZs and warehouses and whatnot so keeping in mind that real estate is very very diverse please take my reply with adequate amount of caution because it one can't get into specifics at this juncture but broadly speaking i would say a couple of things one is that I personally feel that you know last 10 years real estate has gone through a very very bad time and that was structural in nature because we were going through multitude of reforms. You know I, I don't know if this is a verified statistic but I read somewhere that at a point in time India you know every nook and corner there was a real estate developer like we had some 70-80,000 real estate developers in the country and then RERA was implemented and I think now there is more maybe you know few hundred or few thousand uh, which are there so what happened to the stock market in early 90s in terms of regulation and orderly functioning has started to happen in real estate only in the last three years, uh, according to me, number one. Number two, you know, uh, you know all these interest rates, uh, structural changes, you know, this ILFS default, the whole structural change in, uh, you know, real estate developers, NBFCs and stuff. So I think real estate has been through a lot in the last 10 years. I think all the reforms have been for the right reasons if you are positive about the sto- about the economy if you are positive about india's prospects and the stock market itself then you cannot be not be constructive on the prospects of real estate but since i am giving talking about real estate in general you have to be careful about which geography and which sub sector of real estate you know whether it is residential commercial warehousing uh, you know hotels hospitality so, which geography and which subsector you're talking about, the outcomes could be quite diverse. But if you're asking me in general about real estate, I think that it stands to benefit uh, in the next few years. Okay. Siddhan, so your question?
5: Yeah. Hi, everyone. So, my question is to Anand. So firstly, Anant, I'm following you from last uh, year, more than a year now uh, on YouTube and on other social media platforms. Uh, I just started earning a year back and I have been doing my SIP in mutual funds uh, from that time. And recently from a couple of months ago, I started investing in stock market as well. So my main question is like during my job also, it's tough for me to focus on the stock market part and like track stocks easily. and there are times that i miss most of the stocks at the level which i want to buy and there are times i can't track the stocks properly so what should i do ahead with that uh is it should i go with a financial advisor or should i stick with mutual funds or stick to equity stock market
4: hi sidhan firstly thank you so much for being a part of our family from last one year and uh, i personally believe that if you don't have time to invest in markets i think mutual funds and index fund will suffice your purpose still just for learning if you want to uh, invest directly in equity as well i think you can invest maybe around 10 or 20 percent of your corpus in direct equity track it on a weekly basis and uh, do positional trading and mainly stick to mutual funds and i think you will be better off if you don't have time though, it's absolutely okay to stick with mutual funds
5: uh, just a follow up question. And what about like, there are a lot of financial advisors that are there around. So if someone wants to switch to one of them, so how do you find one, like which one suits your goal better and other things? See, that that'll uh, choosing a financial
4: advisor is a point which you have to decide. Uh, I can just point out some of the pointers which you should always consider while uh, choosing a financial advisor. Always look for a qualified advisor always look for, the, for an advisor who have been in this business for quite some time. Thirdly, always look for a advisor who has himself made some money for himself. And uh, fourthly, he should be a person whom people can trust and you can find some sources about it. And if you can find a person like that, you can surely go with an advisor. It's always better to have an advisor by your side because he'll be helping you out throughout your market journey. So it's always better to have a financial advisor. Great. Thanks, Anand. Rushit, please go ahead. Hi, all. Thank you for taking my question. It's been a wonderful discussion so far. So my question is for Dipali, ma'am. Ma'am, you talked about preferring active funds over passive. So my question to you is, we have seen historically that passive funds uh, over a longer period have been able to beat most of the active funds. And if we are unable to choose an active fund by ourselves, why not directly go for passive funds? And if at all, follow up question to that. If at all we are capable of choosing an active fund by ourselves, it means we may be able to choose uh, those pockets of opportunities in certain sectors by ourselves if we are choosing the active funds as well. So why not directly take equity exposure uh, if we are actually being able to identify those opportunities.
3: Thanks uh, for the question. So, as you mentioned on your own, the answer is in your question, which means if you are able to identify uh, such pockets of Uh, competence for a index fund to uh, let's say perform or outperform an actively managed fund if you are able to do that please go ahead what I meant when I refer to uh, actively managed funds uh, because uh, my trust in professionals is far higher than uh, we normal laymen uh, doing bits and pieces of research and coming to some conclusion and being happy while it lasts that it has served well but in longer periods of time I'd rather go with a professional who has hopefully larger uh, pockets of information than I would. And uh, then this question of if I'm able to choose is not something I'm depending on. So there has been statistics to both set of data points where active funds have outperformed as well as passive funds have outperformed active funds over specific periods of points of time. And my viewpoint, as of now, says that uh, active have a outperformance. So I go with that uh, and uh, provided one is able to identify all these. Do you uh,
2: include large caps also in that view? You know, that's the one space where people are the most divided, that active or passive.
3: No, I agree with you, Neil. Large cap, as you also mentioned, is where uh, the possibility of going wrong is the least. So, large caps, I would be actually open to even choosing uh, an index fund over a well-managed yes. diversified equity fund. So, I, I agree to that. Yeah, I should have qualified my answer with that. Yes, can, I agree. Can I add
0: something, Neil on this? Sure. Please. See, I think uh, when Dipali started uh, answering and, you know, I think a couple of times even Anand mentioned that uh, recency bias, you know, Sandeep mentioned it, that recency bias is something which you should avoid. Now. You know, when you're talking about this active versus passive debate, I would just, uh, for everybody's attention, just want to point out one thing. Whenever economic performance becomes, like, you know, when when the economic growth in the country becomes very, very narrow. So, for example, uh, for 2019 till 31st March 2020, that is financial year 2020, our GDP growth was barely 4%. Then came financial year 21, where we had these COVID-related lockdowns. Our GDP growth was negative 7.5%. So what you need to keep in mind is that when the economy is not growing or let's say the economy is shrinking, it automatically means that more number of businesses and more number of companies are struggling to grow. So let's put it this way, that when the economic growth is very, very narrow, corporate performance also becomes very, very narrow what do active equity fund managers actually do? They buy a diverse bunch of businesses because they have a hypothesis that these businesses will grow. But quite unexpectedly, when an ILF default and the economy has 4% growth or when COVID hits us back to back and then the economy has a negative 7.5% growth, it automatically means that active fund managers will struggle to beat the index because on an aggregate basis, the number of companies which are doing better has actually shrunk quite dramatically. So at the end of a recessionary phase, you should never draw a conclusion that active is struggling to beat. That's the first. And the second thing I'll say is, By no stretch of imagination, we have become USA, not become America when it comes to active versus passive. The reason is because I'll make a statement and my urge is, you know, uh, humble request is listen to it carefully. Do not worry about the index capturing the market before the market has captured the economy itself. What I'm trying to say is that in our country, bulk of the sectors which are contributing or will contribute to the economy, they are not even listed. So if the market has not captured the economy, How can you start worrying about the index capturing the market in the first place? We have a long way to go. Uh, You know, large caps and all, we can actually, obviously, in large caps, there is a regulatory issue that large cap mutual funds can buy only amongst the top 100 stocks. So that's a restriction on the investment mandate of large caps. So there I would agree with what Neil and Dipali are saying. But when you talk about active equity fund management in totality, I don't think we have become America. We have a long way to go. That's what I would just like.
1: And Ashish, just to sort of uh, reaffirm what you said, right? On the large cap side, this is definitely a, a challenge that is there. Fund managers have very limited scope to be able to pick outside the 100. And therefore, they are struggling with uh, performance. If you look at this PIVA data, for example, over the last three-year period, it's about close to about 80-odd percent of uh, fund managers are struggling to beat the index. And therefore... For a regular investor who's looking at identifying funds themselves, it's probably hard to identify that 20% consistently who will outperform. So from that point of view, I think uh, large cap space index funds is definitely something that you should look at. The second thing is also the incremental flows that are coming in, the structural flows which are coming in into India from domestic investors also are flowing into ETFs and large cap on the index funds on the large cap side. And that is potentially creating a bit of imbalance there as well. So, if I'm a a lay investor who do not understand how to pick funds, I would probably stick with uh, index funds on the large cap side. But yes, on the other side of the market, multi-cap, mid-cap, definitely active fund managers stand a chance to outperform.
2: Absolutely. Kartik, your question?
1: Yeah, hi. uh, I have two queries. (coughs) To start with, like I just want to know your views on uh, this new flavor of index funds based on uh, Nifty uh, Quality Index or Momentum Index uh, based index funds. That's my first query. The second query is that, okay, uh, particularly after this 2008 and 2020 thing, I mean, uh, crisis, a change in dynamics of the stock market, uh, do you still think the approach like buy right and sit tight uh, for a long period works even today? And if at all, if it if you say that if it is still
0: working today, whether top-down approach or bottoms-up approach, which would be the better way uh, you would suggest? Is that question for Ashish Karthik? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. The first question I think anybody okay. can answer.
1: The second question, yes, Mr. Ashish. Yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah. Hi. Thank you, Karthik. So I'll get the second question uh, first. Uh, you know, so whenever anybody propagates or whenever anybody recommends that one should have a uh, buy-and-hold approach to uh, investing. Needless to say, the macros like, you know, you mentioned about global financial crisis and then 2020 and subsequently, uh, needless to say, you know, you find that the macros have become a bit complicated. But you know, when you talk about any buy and hold or buy right, sit tight kind of approach, uh, there are two or three things that one has to be kept in mind. That always goes with a underlying belief, you know, what is this kind of thought process Basically, it says that if you are holding a company whose earnings are going to double in say five years, let's say their earnings are growing at 14 to 15% compound. So if you're holding a company whose earnings are are going to double in say four to five years, stock market always has phases of leads and lags, you know, boom and bust. So if a company doubles its earnings in five years, in a bull market in three years, in a bear market in seven years with some lead and lag, eventually the stock price will track the earnings. So it's a philosophy or it's a thought process which banks on a focus on absolute returns, which means that ultimately I don't care about the stock market and the max and the indices, I'm holding a company which is increasing. That's the thought process behind it. So obviously you can hold, you can do a buy and hold approach only in a certain type of business. A business where you are able to have some hypothesis or some visualization of how it will pan out. So typically, people who have a buy and hold approach, they actually don't own global commodities. They would typically not own public sector enterprises. They would not own anything which is heavily dependent on interest rate, exchange rates, macros and government policies. Hence, any buy and hold approach is not amenable to top-down thought process. You need to really get down to the business have a strong hypothesis and vision of the business and you should be convinced that there is some element of secularity uh, to the business. There is never going to be any element of secularity to the stock prices. That should not be uh, mixed. But if there is any element of secularity to the underlying business potential, then it would work out and it cannot be done top down. It has to be done bottom up. Also even with this approach, you know, when let's say in 2019, there is a credit crisis and the whole economic growth is 4% or when COVID comes and the country has negative growth for the first time in say 60 years, even secular businesses will have couple of quarters or a year of setback, right? So, we are not talking about secularity year on year, quarter on quarter. We are talking about a general direction over a period of time. So, it has to be done bottom up. You have to live through the underperformance and outperformance and your tenure has to match the hypothesis that you are making for the uh, business itself that's how I would put it. Thank you so much. Yeah. The first question uh, views on uh, this new flavor index funds. Yeah, so so I think that, you know, look, ultimately, I think these are all welcome ideas. I'll tell you why. Uh, While, you know, when we were talking about active versus passive, I gave my views on why I am in the active camp, but at the same time I worked very hard to launch a lot of differentiated index funds in my uh, previous role. And all of that thought process was not because I felt that we won't get alpha. All of that thought process was to make choosing mutual funds easier. Because what we saw in the last five years is that there is a lot of audience which is coming to mutual funds which is digital first and which prefers to be DIY. So if you're digital first and you're DIY, uh, then you would prefer that, you know, choices are made simpler for you. That's why all these index funds came about. Now, within that, I think the innovation, look, when you, when you make an index, which is a low volatility index, when you make an index, which is a momentum index, when you make an index, which is a quality index, how do people get those ideas? They are actually seeing what works in the markets and then they are going back and constructing an index wherein nobody would have to practice it, but it would be just done on an automated basis. So, I think all of that is grounded in very fine fundamentals and I think it should work. It's just that any momentum is a style, quality is a style. When you have a style of managing money, you should never forget that your style is operating juxtaposed on top of a market context. And market context changes every time macros change or every time government policies change. So, Every style will go in and out of favor. If you like a style and you have bought it, then stick with it and live with the bouts of underperformance and outperformance. Because every style goes in and out of favor. So, the best approach is not to have a style bias, portfolio construction. If you go for a style bias, then you should be aware that it will go through its bouts of massive outperformance followed by massive underperformance. And you should be willing to live with it. Great. Thanks, Ashish.
2: Inder,
4: we'll let go next. Yeah, my question is for uh, Anant. Yeah, actually, I'm uh, investing in the blue chip funds also, mid cap also and the small cap also. And some index funds are like metals and pharma or healthcare, you can say. Uh, from the last past few days, we am seeing a little correction in the metal sector or in the pharma sector. So should I go with the lump sum amount or should I invest in the SIPs only? Thank you. Hi, Inder. Uh, thank you for the question. I feel if you are a new investor, right now it is good time to invest via SIP. Lump sum, we still have some space left. See, I am, uh, uh, I cannot predict a, uh, predict a market top or market bottom. But as, as as for my limited knowledge, I feel that there is still some space for lump sum investment to come in. Right now, SIPs should be good for you. Okay, thank you.
2: Thanks, Inder. Vish, please go ahead. Yeah. So my question is to the panel. Uh, so, I check the returns uh, like uh, it has given uh, like, uh, to invest in a mutual fund. I check the returns. So, I don't look at a uh, fund manager or, uh, but I look at the like uh, top uh, 20 companies and uh, yeah, that is how I do. So, uh, is there any way like uh, I can improve or uh, some uh, any suggestions for, for that matter? Yeah. Uh,
1: Neil, I'll take that one. So, Viresh, if you look at the top 20 companies, I'm assuming you're looking at the top 20 companies in the stock markets and investing into them. The only challenge is that uh, two things are happening, right? First of all, these companies may not continue to be in the top. Different things happen over a period of time. So, if you look at it, at one time, MRF was one of the largest stocks in the in the stock market by capitalization. Today, it's not. So those uh, challenges happen and therefore you will then have to track them very actively. The second thing is that business cycles uh, in the world are reducing. Technology is coming in in a big way and therefore companies go through cycles much faster than before. Just to give you a simple example, many years ago we used to use say Orkut could which was at that time a very popular social media platform, but today it doesn't even exist. So there are those kind of changes which are happening even in the brick and mortar space and that's something to be conscious of. So I would suggest that instead of just letting, uh, picking top 20 stocks and holding on to them, Today, investment is far more dynamic. I would suggest you pick a high-quality multi-cap fund manager and run with that. Uh,
4: okay. So, so like, uh, my question was, like, uh, how do I, I mean, uh, based on returns only, I uh, invest in mutual funds. So, how do I, I mean, uh, uh, Yeah, Sandeep, like his question was about
2: million. mutual funds, not stocks. Yeah. How does he pick mutual funds?
1: So, uh, like I think that was said earlier, I guess that you have to look at consistency of uh, the fund manager's performance. If you're looking at an active fund manager Mm -hmm. and uh, just buy and then hold on to that particular fund manager. So, rather than doing over analysis and especially looking at near-term returns, is probably not the right approach to look at. So, uh, if you look at near-term returns, the chances of what we call mean reversion or the returns going back to the average is very high. Which means that somebody who's done really well in the recent past may or may not necessarily do well in the near future. Rather than that, look at consistency and identify fund managers based on
2: that. Okay, okay. Thank you, Sandra. Thank you. Now we'll do the
4: last question from Anu. Anu, please go ahead. Yeah, thanks, Neil. Uh, my question is for Anand, sir. So I've been following uh, following you from past one year and uh, yeah, I've been uh, following your content and all these things. So, um, yeah, and uh, I've paid a uh, pretty decent money I've made through it. So my question is, so I have uh, like my po- portfolio is diversified into stocks, mutual funds, sovereign gold bonds and uh, other things. So whenever an additional income comes to me monthly or a quarterly basis, uh so like uh, there is some lump sum amount which is left with me and i don't know the uh, time horizon when i would need the money so i want to park that money into something better than fix a deposit uh into a like a, something like a conservative approach how can i park that money is my question uh, hi anoop uh i feel presently Looking at the uh, yields which we are getting on debt funds and other fixed instruments, I feel that FD or maybe a liquid or a debt fund is the only way which we have or uh, we don't have any other option right now in the fixed instrument space we have some bonds w- where we can invest but uh, there also time horizon is uh, above 3 years minimum if we want to uh, b- because there is a lot of liquidity issues in bonds right now so i feel that fixed fixed deposits or liquid funds are the o- only options which we have also i will strongly suggest you to have a proper goal Pr- probably you can have a goal like uh, wealth creation uh, as a goal and you can use it if you have a goal you will have a better allocation and you will be in a better frame of mind
5: Okay, thank you. Thank
2: you for tuning in. We will be back next week with a fresh episode. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach out to me at neil.b at To give us feedback, you can reach out to us also on HT Smartcast. We are present on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, LinkedIn and Clubhouse. To listen to more podcasts, log on to htsmartcast.com or suno Naye Nazari essay.
0: This was a mint production
1: brought to you by HT Smartcast. HT
0: Smartcast.